Reptile Gumbo Podcast. I'm James Lewis from Simply Serpents. And I'm Carly Jones from My Living Room. Each week, we will discuss what is happening in herpes culture on social media, YouTube, and even on other podcasts. We will share our opinions and thoughts on current events as well as the opinions of you, the listener. Make sure to check out our Facebook and Instagram for interactive polls and posts where you can tell us what you were thinking. Then listen for your name each week as we share your opinions on our podcast. So sit back and relax. Here's the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Hi, welcome to the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. This is our first episode, so we apologize if it doesn't go as smoothly as we hope. We're learning. We we are learning <laughs> every day. I'm excited though. We have I, I think we have a lot of really awesome things to talk about. Um, I got my little cheat sheet notebook here to help me out because God knows when I get nervous and I start stuttering when I can't. I start a sentence and then don't really know how to finish. Did, did you put a lot of little stickers on your notebook? Yeah. And doodles. The scented ones where you scratch it. <laughs> <laughs> so. We did say in our prequel that it will not just be the two of us each week, right? So we will have a guest co-host every week. And our first guest co-host, I think, is was a good choice for the two of us because he's kind of the reason we met. Hey, don't break your mic there. Sorry. <laughs> but our first guest co-host, I'm going to go ahead and bring him in. It is Joe. Hey. And I'm, I'm going to call you Joe Feelin, just to upset you. Uh, as long as it's not feline. I don't know where people get that. Ooh, that sounds like a stripper name. But <laughs> now coming to the Joe, same no, thing. No, it's Joe. What's the cat? <laughs> Eli. <laughs> All right, everyone. Go ahead. Oh, you, no, you go ahead, buddy. <laughs> I was gonna say everybody knows Joe from from the ground up or Port City Pythons. He he is without his better half today. We're gonna have her on on a later episode. We figured we go ahead and have Joe on the episode where we mess up and we stumble through and things are screwed up. We'll save we, the better episode for Melissa. We actually have someone to impress when Melissa's on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's nothing that gets you off topic faster than actually being friends with the people who you're podcasting. So, like, I don't expect uh, us to be perfect as far as hitting uh, all the cues here. Yeah, yeah I'm not going to be super nervous. Be to, I'm not going to be super nervous to impress Joe. Yeah, we'll keep it loosey goosey. Um, I do want everybody to know if you hear that, hear Joe like yelling and honking his horn. He is driving. He was so committed that he still did our podcast while driving at eighty miles an hour down an interstate. So there you go. I'm even speeding for you. Awesome. Thank. We appreciate that. I mean, I'm not sure how that helps us, but I do appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I'm nervous. Yeah, I'm. It's it's unfortunate. I wish I was able to be in a more favorable situation if something came up. So I'm nervous for are. you. I'm. <laughs> I, I'm sure. I'm I, I have you. I have you in the middle of the steering wheel, so oh. I'm not actually looking at you. Okay. But I'm straight ahead. I'm yeah. sure Melissa will give us a better sound quality and be in front of a computer, and she'll have her makeup done, and she'll look better for us. It's fine. I do want to thank you for being our first guest. And the, thank you, Joe. Yeah, and the whole you. reason, and we talked about it uh, before, the whole reason we wanted you was because you're the reason Carly and I met through your podcast and then through our, our awkward trip in Tinley. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think it's, it's amazing that podcasts or YouTube or, you know, any social media has brought together so many people in the snake world. I think that people focus on it, tearing people apart, but... All of my friends, most of my friends in my adult life come from 
social media and reptiles in some form or fashion. Well, I remember growing up, you know, you had King Snake and you had you had the uh, other forums, and that was it. And everyone was so far away. There wasn't you may get to see them if you got to one of the big shows. Like I got to see people in Daytona, but I didn't know any of them because there was no like real connection with them throughout the year. But now with social media, I mean, we talk every day. The, our little group talks all the time, and so I think the great thing is that the podcast and social media have really brought the reptile community together and really shrank this, what seemed like so far away. Like it was so unrealistic to meet other people like me. And now I can do it at my fingertips. I was over here nodding. Like I knew what you were talking about. You're like back in the day when I'm like, mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was back in the day. Was a week uh, ago. Those were the days boys. <laughs> well, I started, I started right when forums were being like phased out. And so back when forums were the thing, I didn't feel like I was worthy of saying anything, which is true. I mean, let's be honest. I didn't know anything. I wasn't worthy of putting in my opinion on people's, you know, and it, and the forums, it seemed like, especially like things like the Moralia forums, it seemed like people were so uh, educated on the subject that it's like, how could I ever, you know, give anything to wait, this conversation? Wait a minute. You mean you actually thought before you said stuff and you just blurt things out and think you were an expert? Well, I did that later. I thought that's what we had to do. I I mean, that's listen to the first couple years of the podcast. I mean, you'll get a lot of opinions. Actually, pretty excited for one of the segments that we have. um, Like recapping. Hey, hey, quit trying to get us to get started with this podcast. We're talking right now, Harley. (laughs) Yeah, what are you trying to make a podcast out of this? Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, you know, um, the snakes and adders video. I was really excited to see that because I thought that would be a really awesome topic to talk about with Joe because I'm really excited to get both of your guys' opinion because. James, would you consider a Kenyan sandboa as, I mean, sorry, I'm jumping ahead, but I was just like, would, would you consider a Kenyan sandboa as a good first snake or? Yeah, I, mean, I would. I, I, I think because of size mm-hmm. and because of ease of care and because of the fact mm-hmm. that they're, they're kind of what we refer to as those bulletproof animals, those animals that can deal with a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. It's a great beginner snake, but quit trying to skip ahead. Sorry. <laughs> ah, Carly, I've got but a whole rundown. The fucking nerve. Swear. All right, so I had first on your little your little homework assignment for us. Recap any activity on the Facebook page, which is yes. zero. It's, it's not zero. It's not zero. There were two or three people that went there. But that but, is one thing I do want to tell people that are listening to this. Please go there, like our page, so that you can kind of follow us. Uh, each week we're going to, well, I will at least put polls. And I will try and force Carly to get more involved with the Facebook page. Yeah, when you, t- <laughs> so sometimes I get, like, Sometimes when I'm said, or how do I word this without sounding like an asshole? Carly has a hard time with words, people. (laughs) I do. So it's probably really good that I'm going to be doing something that is primarily word focused. (laughs) But um, yeah, sometimes everybody knows that feeling when you're told what to do. And it's like, well, now I'm not going to fucking do it because you told me to do it. (laughs) 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 No, I'm kidding. But um, yeah, I... uh, there again. I started a sentence without knowing. Words bad. Yeah. So you go ahead, buddy. You can edit this out. <laughs> On our Facebook, we did have a poll this week. It was, um, and it kind of is going to tie into when we talk about uh, a topic later. But the poll was, have you ever thought about getting rid of your entire collection at some point? And I think that that question is a little iffy depending on the person, especially where you are in the hobby. As myself, I've thought about it multiple times, but obviously I haven't. Uh, 
but I, I thought many times I got overwhelmed. I got into reptiles and I did the classic blunder of I got one, two, seven, a hundred. And then it just, it becomes too much. You start not paying attention to your collection. And yeah. I, I've thought about it. I thought, man, it's so easy. I could just sell everything. And then I don't have to clean cages. I don't have to come in here and feed stuff. I don't, then I got to thinking, I mean, snakes, that's a big part of my life. I don't know. I know it's going to sound like, I don't know. It's going to sound weird, but I don't know who I am if I don't have them. Well, I, I'm the snake guy. Everybody always says, oh, yeah, that's the guy that has all the snakes. And that's usually a, a talking point. Like a friend of mine's introducing me to somebody. That comes up. So I know, Carly, yours is different. You you haven't been in it as long. And I, I was just going to say the the um, the video that we're talking about is Wiccan's Wicked Reptiles. And I think the title is just Bored with Reptiles, right? It's um, Are You Bored with Reptiles? Okay. Yeah. So um, I thought that was a really great topic that he threw out there because he shared his experiences and and i know both of you guys have shared like times when you thought about just throwing in the towel and and giving everything up but again i, I don't really have a hat to throw in this situation because i've only but you do because you're the one who has done it responsibly and i think <laughs> both of us have probably not so but i yeah, think you're the example you, you you actually researched and figured out what you wanted and you and you didn't get 15 right. corn snakes on the first day and it's crazy though that like when I started to find out that that was more the norm, I don't know how that didn't happen to me because I became addicted just as fast as you guys. It's kind of strange how like you, why you just bought books and <laughs> oh and and necklaces, yeah, and and shirts Which that you put in crop choice, top. Over living animals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I'm not that gonna. A, that a crop top also? Yeah, no. <laughs> but um, yeah, I I have four now and i didn't snakes add... not crop tops four no snakes. yeah oh okay. i i have about four <laughs> but um i only have four snakes now i'm getting the fifth one in the spring as soon as it warms up i'm so excited but i was uh i didn't add another snake until maybe almost a year after i got my first one wow why so long <laughs> i i well so i made the mistake of <laughs> I suppose, would it be okay if we skipped ahead to the, the um, starter snake trend? Because, like, I, I didn't, the whole reason why I didn't add another snake is because I was stressing the fuck out about this goddamn ball python. Like, I didn't want to add another snake. And that was probably my saving grace. That's probably exactly why I didn't add another one for so long. Because, you know, I had, like, done my research and I was going back and forth between a corn or a ball, a corn or a ball. And then I was just like, you know what, I want a ball python. They're a little bit, you know, it's been said time and time again that the corn snakes are the perfect beginner snake, in, in my humble opinion. But the size of the babies is just so scary for a brand new person like me. Like, when I went to my first reptile expo and I had still kind of, I was like 90% sure I was going to get a ball python, but I was like, if I see a corn snake that I really like, and I knew I wanted to start with a baby because at least I listened to that. There's nothing wrong with getting an adult, but at least I listened. A lot of people are like, for your first snake, at least maybe get a baby. So you have the experience of raising it up. But just the size of these little, little tiny corn snakes is so scary for a new keeper. So yeah, I just had the jam just time getting her to fucking eat and like... <laughs> It's, it's very frustrating and scary for a new keeper. You know, I had a lot of, there was obviously so much I had to learn, even though I felt like I was well prepared going into this. Like, yeah, I know they kind of have a feeding strike, but I felt competent enough, but I was not competent enough until I, yeah, until I finally. But you still didn't start out with, you know, 
eight ball pythons. Yeah, thank you. It still made it easier. I mean, because, Joe, I'm sure, I mean, because I know you've had, I mean, I don't want to talk too much about bad stuff that happened in your class, but you've had issues before. You've talked about it before. And I'm sure there yeah. were times when that happened, you were like, I, I'm just done. I, it's so much easier just to not do this again. Yeah, and I mean, but in the beginning, I mean, how I started is that my dad had snakes, but he didn't, like, have snakes like we have snakes in the current, you know, in the current age, having snakes means that you keep 20 snakes in a rack, pretty much. That's pretty much the norm. Yeah. But, I mean, back then, it's like, you know, if you have a couple snakes, you're the snake guy. You know, he had a berm and a fish tank, and uh, my whole life, I had corn snakes. And by corn snakes, I mean, like, we had one or two. And that was pretty much that. And well, it's so weird because it's totally different. You talk about that being a snake guy. Now, when we hear a guy go, "Oh yeah, I've got a ball python," we're like, "Yeah, whatever." Like, <laughs> yeah, and, like, and, right. and it's wrong of us to do that. I know it is, but we're still like, "Well, you don't have the snakes like I have snakes." Yeah, like you're not actually into it. Like yeah. you just have a couple snakes. That's what. And someone could dismiss someone like Carly, who's done all of her research and oh, yeah. knows so much about it. And I feel like we get stuck in that too much. It's like. We kind of judge our worth on how many animals we have, we keep, we breed, and do this all successfully. It doesn't matter about how we treat each individual animal. It's about how many you can have, how many you can breed, what species you can keep, what species you can breed. And I'm trying to reel that back on my own, like in my own life. And so that's kind of what I've been talking about more so recently than anything else, than, you know, getting more snakes. Or yeah, I've, I've, I've tried to... When I was younger, I definitely was, oh, you have ball pythons. You're one of those people. But I've, I've, as I've gotten older, I'm like, look, they're owning snakes. I mean, someone, if they're taking care of them, they, they, it's what they like. You know? And like Carly mentioned, I have sand boas. And there's so many people that look at those and go, why do you own those? They're worms. But I'm like, I think they're cool. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what you think is cool. As long as, as long as you think it's cool, keep it. As long as you're keeping it right. I mean, don't put five, you know, five ball pythons in a 10-gallon tank. That's Just because you want the animals doesn't always mean you need to have the animals yeah and, so, and then you can get to the point where it's like you know how many people have bred this snake so let me go after this species and then try to breed it and i, I mean i love that but and then most people get out of it right away and move on to something else or you know i'm trying to figure out how i can be content and happy in the hobby without having to go through some type of cyclical thing where like my mutations are not worth anything in two years so i sell off you know, these adult males that I've worked on forever. It's like, I want to, I want to have my animals serve a purpose, but also serve a full life within captivity and within my care. Yeah. And, and so all of what we're talking about kind of feeds into, like I said, on this podcast, we want to highlight what's been happening in the hobby and on YouTube, social media, on other podcasts and all other things. And uh, the video that I wanted to talk about this week, and as Carly mentioned, it was one by Wiccans with Reptiles, which was, are you bored with reptiles? And I, and I watched that video thinking, man, this hits on so many different levels for myself. Um, he really talks about, you get to the point where you don't, maybe don't walk into your snake room as much. And if you don't have a snake room, maybe you don't open your snake's cage as much or hold them as much. It just maybe seems like a chore or it just doesn't excite you anymore. And he had some great ways of getting around that, you know. Go in there, pick them up. Sometimes it just takes holding the snake to go, oh, yeah, this is why I love this thing. Every now and then, I'll just come pick up a random snake in my room. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome, and I get to have it in my house. And and it re-energizes you. And I thought that was that was great. Or, you know, listen to a podcast. You know, I, I reached out, and I found all the other podcasts I started listening. And I believe yours was the first one I started listening to. 
I found yours the summer I started building my tortoise pen. And so I listened to every episode you did while building my tortoise pen. By the way, you've gotten better. It is it is much better now. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> oh, oh my God, it was a little rough. But we're on a burning year, and hopefully we'll have gotten better too. So now Joe can say that to us. Like, you guys have gotten better, yeah. honestly. <laughs> but it was, it's, listening to that, listening to all the different podcasts, learning about other stuff, that also re-energized me. And then one other thing that really, I t- we talked about, you know, I got a bunch of animals too fast. And I got a bunch of anything. If someone wanted to get rid of something, if there was something that was cheap, I, I bought it, I wanted it, I took it. And that's the wrong way for me. That was the wrong way for me, at least. I, I think it's the wrong way for everybody, but it was the wrong way for me. And uh, in the last four years or so, I've really slimmed down my collection and I've focused on samples. And I found that that's really re-energized me and brought me a passion back into the hobby and has kind of given me a direction to go. And it's it's been fun for me. And for Joe, it's corn snakes. You know, you have found corn snakes to be that pattern. You found projects that you really like and you have plans for the future and it keeps you going. And for Carly, I assume it's just, it's different for you. You're not planning on breeding. You have ideas of snakes that you think are cool that you've read about or heard about, right? Yeah. And so I think it's, you've got to find those things in the hobby that keep you in the hobby. And then at the end of his video, there was the uh, the sad truth of maybe it's time to get rid of stuff. Maybe for some people, they may have bought a snake thinking, this is going to be cool. It's a way I can look cool in front of people. And they didn't really, they didn't have a passion for the animal. And that happens. That happens to all people. That doesn't make anybody a bad person for getting into something and not and finding out later on that's not for me. And so maybe it is time for some people to to get rid of an animal, not release an animal, obviously, but yeah. to find a new home for it. And so, and I liked I liked that video. It just it it hit me in a whole bunch of places where like yeah, that that's what's happened to me a lot. And I feel like that video will hit a lot of folks. And I posted it over on our groups on our Facebook page. So if you go to our Facebook page, you can see it. I think it's worth a watch. He says a lot of really good things in there. I think that it's not its not just about, you know, getting overwhelmed and all that stuff. I mean, sometimes, or having a lack of passion. I mean, sometimes people who love snakes can get very jaded. Or it's like sometimes you love snakes so much that you, over four years or so, you don't realize that slowly it's been taking over your life and you've become a martyr to your collection more so than it's a fun hobby that you have. And it's something yeah. to where, like, financially it's straining you or keeping up with them, you know, with the feces, whatever, is straining you or maybe you're producing too much. And, you know, sometimes you just want to be at the hobbyist level again. And that's okay, too. I mean, not everyone has to breed. Not everyone has to keep at a large level. Um, find what, what makes you happy. And it's like, Sometimes after having a bunch of animals and a bunch of cubs, you want to look and you want to explore how to keep one animal to the best degree possible rather than keeping a hundred in a way that makes sense. Because um, you do have to sacrifice between those two. Well, I think um, Carly probably gets probably more enjoyment out of her four snakes than some people get out of having a room full of 150. I love my animals so much. <laughs> Yeah, I do. I'm so comfortable with where I'm at. And this number might change in the future, but after after I get my fifth this year, which, I... Which is what? What are, you, what are you getting? I'm getting a black milk from Aaron Bear. And I've been, cool. I've been on his wait list for fucking ever. Like, I got on his wait list, like, maybe a year, a, over a little over a year after I started keeping. And 
he's the milkman. Like he's like he has the he has the coolest milk snakes. Like the milkman. He, he is. He is. He he has the coolest milk snakes. And I knew like I want one. Like I was so specific too. Like uh, with Polly, my bull snake. I was like, I just don't. I don't want just a bull snake. I want a crumbly line red bull snake. Like, but it, and that's it's so worth it when you wait and you and I. I don't know. Like, have you guys had that experience with one snake when you're just like, I don't want, I just don't want this. I want this. And I, I'm not trying to sound like a snob or, you know, I'm not, I, I hope I'm not coming. No, you no. should be a snob. Yeah, you fucking <laughs> <I> mean, bitch. <laughs> you did the right thing though. You did the research. You figured out what you liked. You knew what you wanted. And you weren't the person that went to a, a pet expo or reptile expo and just bought the first thing on the table because you went, oh, that's pretty. Yeah. And then went home and had to figure it out. You know, and yeah. and I kind of I kind of feel the same way. My pine snake. I knew I wanted a pine snake for years, and I finally got to where I was like, "All right, I'm buying a pine snake." Mm-hmm. And I bought my Louisiana pine snake. I love that thing. It's to me, it's still the coolest snake in my collection. I don't care how many morphs I have behind me, whatever colors. The Louisiana pine snake is still the coolest thing in my collection, mm-hmm. even though someone may walk in and go, "Yeah, it's just a snake." I'm like, yeah, but it's a super rare snake, and it's awesome. And also, too, like even like that can be even applied to like breeders like i don't i just don't want this snake i want one of his snakes like yeah it was like that with the the black milk like i i didn't just want a milk snake i wanted a black milk snake and i wanted one from aaron bear because i love his stock i love the way he conducts himself he's not overbearing on social media but he's i don't know he's a really i don't know i've talked with him a little bit when he messaged me and was like i know joe you probably have heard me saying like, oh, I'm afraid to message him because I don't want to be like overbearing. Charlie is <laughs> number one fangirl. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it's that's not- probably my favorite. That's my favorite thing about Carly is that she's excited I- even for like yes us. Well, you guys, <laughs> it's cool because they're normal. You guys are, <laughs> you guys are my friends. You guys, <laughs> but it's not. It's not just anyone. Like, <laughs> like it, it, not- it is kind no, of anyone. I understand. Well, right. anyone to us because all of our friends are, you yeah. know, snake breeders and keepers and stuff. So, but Carl, you were talking about picking somebody, a certain breeder, wanting a certain one from them. That's kind of like Joe. I was with you when you bought that corn snake at Tenley, and you got it from him because he produces what you wanted. And so it's, you know, I get that. That's that's the right way to go. Either as a pet, you took the time to find the one you wanted, or as a breeder, don't just go ahead and oh look, I can find this for cheap. Let me go ahead and buy this for cheap. It's the same thing. When in it reality, also it's pays not. you back. It pays you back in the future because you're like, oh, this is from that line from this person. So even if you haven't built a brand yourself, if you aren't, you know, in my case, say corn snakes, if you're not Don Soderberg, you can say, hey, I mean, most of my stock comes from Don Soderberg. And people are like, oh, okay, at least you started off well and this is where you're going from here. It gives you that little bit of trust, even if, you know, people don't trust you exactly in the market yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and that's and then this hobby, your your name is probably the most important thing. As far as breeders go, your name is the most important thing, and it it takes a long time to build it up. It takes a very short amount of time to tear it down. <laughs> One thing, yeah, is most of your sock from Don Joe? Yes, yeah, so Don and Carol Huddleston, um, which is pretty much synonymous at this point because I think they cross over quite a bit with uh, their collections. So that was that was my video. My and I think we've all had those moments, um, other than Carly. <laughs> People that have kept long enough or 
He's not done it the right way. I don't know if Carly will ever have that moment. If you if you keep the way you keep, you'll. I don't think you'll ever feel that overwhelmed moment, which is good. Which is the way I think it should be. I think too many of us, a lot of us, and we've I've heard it before on the podcast. Reptile people tend to have a hoarder mentality. You know, we always think it's bad when you watch a show hoarders and there's just garbage and newspapers everywhere. But if you walk into a room with 500 ball pythons, people are like, "This is amazing." So I think I think we have that mentality, and sometimes we just got to take a step back and realize it's okay to. To take your time. It's okay to not have everything. It's starting to change, for sure. Like, just listen to how many people who have outlets like podcasts or they do YouTube videos. So many of them are like, like, I've been trimming down. I've been slowly kind of just like focusing on one thing or two things. So, yeah, it's, I mean, I'm super excited to see. I've only been in this for a couple of years, but it's it's so exciting to see where it's going to go in another couple of years. Trust After- me, it's it's changed drastically from when I got into it. So what you've seen in just a couple so of years. Cyclical. Yeah. yeah. Oh, is it really? I Meaning like things come and go. It's like look at a, a reptile magazine. Like I was looking from, I got some from Larry at uh, the last Tinley. And it's like in the late 90s, everyone would had these big wooden enclosures with naturalistic setups and stuff like that. And then ball pythons hit right at the late 90s. Yeah. All of a sudden, Who was all of a sudden, it? everyone's in tubs. Everyone's breeding snakes. Instead of just being keepers, everyone turned to breeders. There was oh. money involved. All this Who was stuff. it? There used to be the ads. It was always in the Reptiles Magazine that built those really big, expensive cages, like zoo-quality cages. Do you uh, remember Cages those? by design? That's right. And they, I mean, they, you put branches in them, these giant trees in them. And, then, and now if you see a magazine, it's, look at this rack builder. That's look at right. this four-foot PVC cage builder. That's really interesting, though. I, I didn't know that. Like, I know you guys have talked about how things go in waves as far as, like, fads. Like, what species of snake is hot right now? But that's interesting to know. Styles of keeping is also excuse me, cyclical. Well, I think it's it's weird because we started off into the whole, like, just try to keep them alive type of deal. Yeah. And then yeah. there's, some, there's some zoo folks, you know, like, the Barkers have always pretty much kept very sterile, you know, they used to keep like that in zoos. Um, and that's pretty much where all that originated. And it's not bad practice at all, especially for a breeder. And when you're keeping hundreds of animals, it's just much easier to control some type of outbreak or sickness or anything that goes on. But it's sterile environments. But yeah, a bioactive imagine trying to get mites out of a bioactive enclosure. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you yeah, I'm sure that's a nightmare. Like, you have a couple options, right? Getting predatory mites or just scrap everything. I mean, restarting, it just seems like it's, it's restarting. But, I mean, the amount of money people have invested in bioactive stuff nowadays is crazy. That's why quarantine is... I was just... Yeah. Like, I was just mentioning to Nick this morning, like, something about quarantine. I don't have the strictest of quarantine. Like, I, um, I know people... Like, I have the luxury of having another room that I use for quarantine. But I would do my established two snakes first and then go into the quarantine room. But I saw some footage today of a guy like, you know, we've all seen those unboxing videos of people unboxing it in their fucking reptile room. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like do it in the living room, please. Like, but um, yeah, so it's just funny that you mentioned that because I was just pissing and moaning about the same thing. <laughs> yeah, and it's important to know that, well, a person... For the smaller collection, you know, it may not be a big deal, but man, is that a big deal. And I mean, that's that's the downside of people who are always having to acquire new animals and sell new animals is that your collection is always at risk. And 
with all the viruses going on right now and all the different things that people are just kind of pushing to the back and someone ignoring because it's more convenient to do so rather than, you know, try to figure these things out. Uh, it only gets exacerbated over time. Yeah. More people are keeping and reading this way and, you know, not doing these certain practices. So in order for us to have a decent future and have great animals in the future, I mean, it's imperative for us to pay a little bit of attention. So segue kind of into, <laughs> into something less depressing into Carly's video. Uh, we kind of mentioned it earlier and it kind of, I mean, a lot of what we did in this episode is really kind of beginner stuff, which I think this information needs to be out there. But Carly, the video you had was snakes and adders, reptiles advice, episode 65, uh, the start, the starter snake trend. Starter in quotations. Yes. I, I think Chaz is so fun to listen to. I, I really enjoy their videos. That was the first time I, I saw that video. It actually popped up on my YouTube feed about two hours before you mentioned it to me. Do you uh, do you watch any of their videos, Joe? No, and I feel bad for saying that, but send me to it after but, and I'll check it out. But no, that's kind of the like, thing we talk about. There's so many different things out there now. So many different yeah. YouTube videos, podcasts, everything. That now it's like, oh man, I didn't hear that one. Because there's so many. Whereas before it was everybody saw the same pictures. Everybody saw the same videos. And I think we get even stuck in our niches, meaning like if a, if a snake breeder came out with a, with a channel or something, I mean, I would probably know about it. But if someone's keeping bioactive and they have a channel about it, it may slip through and I may never catch it just because I'm not necessarily as deep in that circle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot. It's there. There's so much to <laughs> to take in. Like there's so much information out there. And but, so explain um, this. And I want to I want to branch out as much as I can. Yeah. Did you just want me to like? Well, yeah. No, ex explain explain what his video was about because I watched it. it. Was good. Yeah. I liked it. I agreed a lot with what he said. So basically, what he said was he got a. I think he said Jazz got a message or a, a comment on a YouTube video, and it was um, the person basically saying, "I wish this starter snake trend would end." People should just keep what they want to keep. Just do the research properly beforehand. And I honestly don't even know if I have an opinion on this. He, Chad, you, haven't, you haven't been doing this long enough. Because trust I, me, I have an opinion on everything. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, Chaz basically says, like, he got... Uh, I'm sorry, guys. I'm, <laughs> I'm not, still not very good at this. And... It's good. So he was talking about... His argument was, yeah... He understands not doing a starter snake and finding a snake you like, but there are certain snakes that should not be your first snake. No one, I don't care if you have the money, I don't think a Boland's python should be your first snake. And I'm sure people will disagree. They'll go, well, I'm sure a first-time breeder could do a great, our first-time snake owner could do a great job owning a Boland's. And, and maybe. Well, let's let's bring it back more to realistic. Well, that, that might not like, be the best example just because of the price point. <laughs> I get like, it. I'm, I'm talking about, like, because you can get cheap Burmese pythons. You can get cheap, oh, yeah. like, really cheap Retics. Yeah, so I was more thinking like that. So what I'm thinking as far as a starter snake, like the thing the thing that makes me a little upset when I go to to reptile shows is that I always see first time owners taking home something like a sunbeam snake. Which is it's a snake that's cheap enough for them to afford, pretty enough for them to see, but what they don't know is that it's an import, it's probably wild caught, and they do not know how to keep them, and either does the importer. So yeah an adult sunbeam snake from a first-time keeper. I haven't seen anyone breed them. I haven't seen anyone successfully keep them, but they come in 
over and over and over again. And I'm sure there's a guy who does it great, but it, things that are sold as first time pets to people from people who don't care, that's what frustrates me. It's one thing to be able to like, you know, you get a snake that you're not really that into and then you, you can figure it out or you can give it to someone who can figure it out. A sunbeam snake is dead in most people's hands and that's fucked up. Well, and that also drives people away from the hobby. They they went after the one snake they thought was going to be their starter snake. They got it. Everything went wrong. They never realized it was wild caught. It may have had something in it. It whatever it died or whatever. And then they're they're lost from the hobby forever. And that person may have been someone who was stuck around for you know decades. But one bad experience can really burn you. I mean, I saw sunbeam snakes the last two shows I was at. You know, and then they're a really cool looking snake. But they're not. If you're wanting a snake to take out and hold and show everybody. The snake that lives underground that never wants to be seen is probably not the snake for, for you. And to be honest, the starter snake trend I and people buying whatever they want or buying something at an expo because it's pretty, I fell into that. My first snake is in this tub, up you know, this cage up here, and it's a 17-year-old Brazilian rainbow boa. That is not a great first snake. It's not. And people will say, well, it could be. There's a huge learning curve for a rainbow boa, and the fact that he survived 17 years with everything I did to him is amazing. Yeah, master heat and humidity for an animal that it doesn't matter for. Like like a corn yeah. snake. Yeah. If you mess it up, it won't die. But I mean, but then again, I had this girl, um, Dominique. Uh, she's great. And she has, she went out of her way to find like a U.S. captive born and bred chondro. And then she went over to Ian. You know, she asked me all the questions. And I'm like, listen, I only know so much. Send you to Ian. And then Ian hooks her up, and then she gets a U.S. Captain Born and Bred, not an import, a U.S. Captain Born and Bred Condro as her first snake. And now she has two of them, as well as, like, a corn snake. Like, she's gotten starter snakes since yeah. then. But she she actually successfully kept green trees, and no problem, because, listen, it took her about three months to get comfortable with this idea. And she pulled the trigger, and she followed through, and did it all seamlessly. You know? See, so it's unfortunately, like, I see that. Well, unfortunately, she's that an outlier. That, that is amazing to hear. And they're like, we do, you do hear about those people every once in a while. And they may be more common than but I, I think. That's, think. I think that's one out of five, one out of every six. I mean, she took the time to go get a captive bred chondro and is probably taking great care of it. But you can go to any reptile show right now and find imports for a couple hundred bucks. And it's a green snake and someone will buy it and not take care of it. And that happens way more often, unfortunately, you know, and I know some of the conjure guys have said nowadays, it's so much easier to keep conjures than it used to be, but it's, it's not a beginner snake for everyone. And it worked out for her and that's awesome. But, you know, I think the idea of a starter snake got started because of pet stores. I think pet stores were able to get, you know, corn snakes, ball pythons. And I was like, these are starter snakes. And even ball pythons for the longest time were a pain. I mean, there's so many stories of them not wanting to eat or being trouble feeders. Uh, ball pythons became starter snakes when it became fiscally, you know, true. You know, when it became a thing, when, when people started breeding them and they needed to sell them, all of a sudden they're starter snakes. They weren't starter snakes before. All of a sudden people are making forgot from morphs and stuff. I'm like, well, that's like, is that, I'm is always... that because they're actually starter snakes or is it because people had to sell them? I've always thought boas are great starter snakes if you can get over the adult size of maybe a female, uh, you know, a seven foot boa, which I still think is handleable by most people. But as far as start, when I think of a snake that someone should start with, it, it probably needs to be, you know, the phrase fairly bulletproof. You can make some mistakes 
and the snake can still recover from it. And you're not going to lose your snake, which I think boas do that. Corn snakes do that. Uh, I think king snakes can do that. are probably to that point now. I'm not talking yeah. like smack this on ball pythons. No, no, ball but... pythons now are, I mean, unfor- unfortunately for a lot of these snakes, they can go through a lot. I mean, you've seen some of them. You've seen pictures of rescues that, unfortunately for them, they can take a lot and still survive. What I don't get is that there's some individuals that are thriving under like a red light throw a you know a rat in there every once in a while and then you have this person who has the tub set up perfectly he's monitoring humidity heat and all that and this thing won't eat so it's like you know it just i've seen so many normal ball pythons in the weirdest situations where i'm like oh i don't know they're bulletproof i don't know but another times they're not i don't know as far as starter snakes carly you started with a ball python right yeah i would not recommend (laughs) 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 and like, so one of my coworkers, her niece just got her first snake and she was, cause she knows that I like reptiles and I keep snakes and I'm like, Oh, do you know what she got? And she's like, it's some kind of Python. And I was like, is it a ball Python? And she's like, yeah. And I asked her like, do you know how it's doing? And she says she's, as far as she knows, it's doing great. It's eating. So that, I mean, maybe she uh, had like, and I think this niece is like 12. So maybe the parents are setting it up for her. I didn't, she didn't know a whole lot cause she's not super, she wasn't curious enough to ask. But yeah. when I first got my ball Python, it was a fucking nightmare. Like, and I wasn't, I mean, I was new. Definitely. I'm still very green, but I knew enough to not like have the setup ready for a week or so. Um, I had hides and pretty thick layer of substrate. I had, I had it in a 20 gallon with all four sides and the under underneath insulated. And then I had my temps and my humidity, like what I thought was like perfect. And, you know, I had the top screen lid taped and everything I thought was good to go. And, you know, I had everything covered in complete darkness for the first week. I let it settle for seven days. And, uh, <laughs> and then it, it was just awful. Um, I didn't know what I do. I didn't know what more I could do. Like she, you know, I didn't hand, I didn't touch her at all for, you know, a long time <laughs> like I took out I replaced the water and I took out if she pooped or peed or whatever but and now like Joe said on the flip side someone can get just because someone can get a ball python that is just like hearty and ready to eat and just so if someone asked you two guys like pretend like you're not breeders you're not you know like trying to Persuade, you know, we're not, I, we're not trying to peddle our animals to people. No, and I'm not saying that you guys do that any in any way, shape, or form. But like, just a if little. Someone, <laughs> if someone asked you guys, like, do you think a ball python is a good starter snake? What would you say? I'm, I mean, I'm torn on that question. I mean, I would. I know what I would say. I would say I love Jubilee. She uh, she makes me so happy. But I would never ever like if I could do it again, I wouldn't get her. I would. In 2020, are ball pythons easy to take care of? Yes, I think they are. And and if someone sees a ball python and they fall in love with it, then yeah, that probably needs to be the first thing they get. But it depends on what you want out of a snake. And I always tell folks, if you want a snake that's going to be active, something that's really going to move a lot, it's not the ball python. If you're wanting a snake where you can sit on a couch, watch TV, and hold it for an hour, and it doesn't go anywhere, a ball python's great. But none of that there, I think, has to do with care. I think most of the care, like we said, nowadays is pretty easy. So I put them on the list of beginner snakes, but I think there's so many things that don't get put on that list that I would offer up first. I keep Samboas just because I keep them doesn't mean I'm peddling them, but I think they're a great starter snake. Joe keeps corn snakes. I think 
a yearling corn snake is an amazing starter snake. So they're at that size where it won't, it doesn't really escape that much. I think your bull snake, I think so many people are breeding bull snakes now and some northern pines and stuff like that, that those could even be decent beginner snakes. But I think some of those don't get put on the list just because people don't think of them. And so, yeah, I'd probably put ball pythons there, but it's not my first go-to. How about you, Joe? Your life would just be so much easier with a North American beluga of some sort. Yes. I'm not, I'm not opposed to someone, honestly, going on Craigslist. They want one pet. Go on Craigslist, find an AMO corn snake that someone, you know, may have kept decently or even if it's mistreated. Don't get a sick animal. People oftentimes, their first animal and they want to go rescue something and they buy a sick animal. I love the word rescue. I love they use the word rescue and then buy. I'm like, I, I, right. I've, never, I've never felt rescue and buy belong in the same sentence. Like, don't don't start off behind the eight ball. I know it's unfortunate that animal needs help, but you can maybe try to find someone who's experienced with helping an animal. Don't keep it at your first animal, but you can find a healthy animal on Craigslist, an adult horse that if you only want one animal, that will be like the greatest animal. That name oh, yeah. already come, like, for the most part. You know, it's probably, and it's past the stage of intimidation because it's so small and where it may get away very easily, which is also another concern. Um, so it takes away all the issues that you see as, as a young corn snake. But I mean, any North American blue pink snake, corn snake, um, some rat snakes, it's just the feeding and the keeping that's easy. It's easy, it's easy on the animal, not necessarily, um, I think it, ball pythons, are easy on the keeper as far as you take it out, you clean it, it doesn't do anything. But the animal has more of a chance of being kept substandardly just because you're a beginner. In comparison yeah. to really corn snake will thrive depending no matter what you do, unless you are afraid that it moves around and you're afraid that it gets loose. Yep, yep. So, I, like I said, I, I'm not, I got, I got his point when he talked in the video about not liking the, liking the idea of a starter snake, and I get that. And I'm all for, I go back to the buying the snake you want as your first snake. I agree with that to an extent because if you just buy a snake, like a, if you just buy something because it's cheap and easy to take care of, it may not give you any passion for that animal and you may not want to stay in the hobby. Whereas if your first snake is something you're really passionate about and you think is awesome, that's really going to drive you to stay in it and maybe strive to do more, learn more. So I think that part's important. I think as far as getting something you like is important, but something you like may not be an emerald tree boa. That may not be the great first snake. You may love the way an emerald tree boa looks, but it's probably not your best first pet snake. Yeah, I guess I that's a large oversight, not to mention that you have to actually have an initial kind of uh, interest in the actual species that you're getting, right? I mean, if you're just, yeah. if you do not care for the look and behaviors of a North American blue bridge, then yeah, then obviously that's not a good start for you. Yep. So there is personal preference, of course, always keep it in mind. So that was, <laughs> it took 50 minutes, but that was our YouTube videos that we wanted to talk about. And so now I kind of want to aim toward, towards the social media side. I looked at Facebook and I saw a post in the group Constrictors as Pets, and it was by Christopher Ott. And it was, Snake Hook, are they necessary and should I get one? And that was all question marks. And when I took the screenshot, there was 144 comments on there. And I'm sure it's probably double that by now because it's I one of those topics. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to be honest. I didn't even bother to go look at the comments in that one because I knew I knew what was waiting for me. Well, 
I'm I'm a firm believer in having snake hooks. Oh yeah. Um, and I'm not. I think people. I think the problem is someone needs to train everybody how to properly use a snake hook. It's not just to pick up the snake and carry it without. It's to help coerce it into your hands, let it know it's you're there, so you don't surprise it. Because I mean, look, they don't have eyelids. We don't know when these guys are asleep or not. If you just reach in and grab one, and he's in. It's asleep. They freak out a little bit, and a lot of our snakes they still have that mentality of if something comes to grab me, it's trying to eat me. And so, especially with my Samboas, if I just reach into the bedding and grab a Samboa, I'm probably going to get tagged. And it's not a, it's not a malicious thing. It's not all that snakes mean. It's scared. I reached in and I grabbed it as a predator. It's going to try and bite to get away. And so I think snake hooks are necessary. I think you need to be able to maybe hook the first part of the body, get it onto your hand, then pull them out. Um, and, I, and I think the problem is like when you read a lot of those comments, people go, you don't need a snake hook, just grab it. Or you hear that, Getting bit's part of the fun. I've never thought getting bit by a snake was part of the fun of owning a snake, ever. Because, one, it can do harm to your snake. It does harm to you. It also is stressful. And so any trust you may have gained with some of those snakes, that's gone. You Now you got to try and gain that, that trust back. They've got to learn that you're still not a predator. And so I think this uh, machismo thing, this i got to feel tough by not using a snake hook, is crazy. I just don't think that's the right mentality. I haven't heard it in a while. I think it's been, but maybe I haven't been looking in the right places, but I haven't heard or seen someone call someone a pussy. For their, like, I saw someone. Oh, it still happens. Yeah, we all see in the groups, like, don't be a pussy, just go in there and grab it. And well, it's you, not, you don't want to be tentative and you don't want to hesitate because that's also bad for the animal. But I've seen those people, yeah, who just grab it and then they get bit three times and whatever. Oh, he's calmed down now. But I don't see that. The animal got to the point where it got defensive because he thought that his life was going to be taken from him. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to die. The <laughs> yeah. 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 How do you think, uh, how do you lack the empathy for your animals? And I understand I'm not like, I don't anthropomorphize my animals. I get it. No, but, but you know they have a basic fear of being eaten or killed. Yes, yes, and that's enough for me to say at least let me try to stay out of that realm as much as I can. That zone of something's trying to eat me. Let me, yeah, two, let me not two things let you don't want to. Two things you don't want to be. You don't want to be confused for prey or predator. Like you don't want to be that. And I think a snake hook keeps you from being either one. I think, um, and there's many times where it's just it, sometimes snakes are having a bad day, but it went to the bathroom. You've got to clean that cage. It's better for you and the snake just to use a snake hook to help you get that thing out of there. Do it quickly. And, and also, I mean, if you want to go in and you want to grab my eight-foot olive python with your hands, go in and do it. I mean, have a good time. <laughs> yeah. uh, what do you want? Well, I mean, that's what you get. Get stupid prizes, you know? Yep. And, and I'm going to kind of skip ahead because I, I talked about wanting to kind of do keeper tips on every on every episode. I have a keeper tip. <laughs> and, my, and my keeper tip kind of tied into this was I think it's very important if you have one snake to have a snake hook, if you have 20 snakes to have a snake hook. And I think it's important at a certain point to have multiple size snake hooks. I mean, I've got longer ones, short ones, small ones for smaller snakes. I think it's, you know, a four foot snake hook for my boa is not going to be great for my baby samboas, you know? And so I think that's a great thing to have in your room. I, I don't think, I think too many times people get the animal and they get the cage and then don't get the other supplies that go with making that whole job easier. And a snake, and a snake hook makes that job easier. That's that's a a really you know how some companies sell like starter kits. That'd be awesome if they included a snake hook in yes. that in that kit. That'd be really that'd be really cool to see if companies like because you know you see like the tank 
and then everything is in the tank, like your lighting and heating and whatever else. Well, you well, let's let's not say everything's in a starter kit because I've oh, seen some starter kits. Yeah, yeah, no. Oh, well, I've got my day bulb and my night bulb. Yeah. Well, everything that they think is okay, okay. but that's yeah. what that's what we need to get past. That we need to make a new starter kit. We yeah. need to. Yes. We need Made to get rid of these outdated. Uh, <laughs> Whether it be companies or just the products they're putting out are outdated, man. We gotta, like, we gotta, as a reptile community, either make new products or demand new products. Yeah, way. and that's. I'm glad you corrected me there, James, because I didn't want to sound <laughs> like too too ignorant. But no, that. I mean, obviously, there's a lot missing from these quote unquote snake starter kits, but it'd just be a it'd be a nice thing to see included, like, and also too, like uh, vendors who. Uh, who are selling both animals and dry goods or just dry goods. And people come up to them and say, like, I'm interested in this. What would I need for this? And, I mean, you know, I could see a snake hook getting getting forgotten. So, yeah, that'd be and, a- and it's easy at a show just to go, look, so-and-so over at that table sells hooks. Go over there, talk to him, mm-hmm. get you one. Like I said, I, like you said, it doesn't – most people don't think about it when they get their first snake. But it's necessary. And a lot of times at a show, someone walks by a table full of hooks and tongs, and they think those are professional tools. Those are for people that are professionals. I'm like, no, those are for everybody tools. Like like I said, a hook just to scoop your snake out of the bedding, just to let, let it know you're there, mm-hmm. is an amazing thing. You know, there was that whole trend of you must feed your snakes outside of a cage or else they'll be aggressive. And I think that, we've all. Everybody's got that. You've got, I'm sure you've been told that before. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. It's, it's crazy. But it doesn't, there is some validity there in the fact that if a cage, snake only relates the opening of a cage with food, then yeah, it's going to think, cage open, there's food. But if there's also the moments where you open the cage, you reach in with a hook and kind of just pet it, kind of lift it up a little bit, and then take it out, it starts to go, okay, that also means that I'm getting taken out, there's no food. And Unless you're couch king, and then (laughs) you just try everything. That's true. But... It's it's important to have these certain tools, and like I said on each on each episode, I want to do some keeper tips, some things that I've done, you've done, our co-hosts have done that have helped them in their in their in their collection. You know, I keep I always say snake room, but I'm like, not everybody has a snake room. Some people have a snake cage with one snake, and that's great. But I think there's tons of tips that we all use that could work for one snake or a hundred snakes. I I'll just throw this out there because we talk. You mentioned like snakes associating the door opening with food. What what I do and. Who knows if it works? Like, yeah, who knows? But I do it just to see, and I'm having fun just experimenting. Every time I go in to, like, present a prey item, I tap the side of the enclosure. Not, not like, bang on it, but I'm, like, <laughs> you know, like, like, and so I'm wondering if maybe they'll, for sure, Eddie, my corn snake, but I don't know, maybe they'll start to associate that noise with, and there's, um. Well, well, no. Not so much noise, but it's vibration. Yeah. The whole yeah. ears thing. Okay, yeah. I know. Thank you. You know what I mean. Like. I know, I know. <laughs> I, I'm, just for anybody listening, I'm going to give Carly a hard time all the time. <laughs> if it upsets you, tough. And, and they can what, still hear, just not a fidelity that you yes. would ever consider hearing. And, yeah, inner and ear. And you'll you'll have to forgive me again. I I, I just I, I feel kind of off today, and I'm sorry if I if I'm not myself. But um, so I what I do like for anything else, I just open up the cage, like to do water changes or spot checker. But to feed, I always tap on the right side of the enclosure, 
and open on the right, open the right door. Who knows if it actually does anything? Um, it do may. You, do you do you guys? I mean, and there's guys. I who, think the the first person that I ever saw do that was Chris Cersei uh, at Ball Python 101. Was it? Um, so I know he does that for his whole collection. Um, he thinks it just. You know, it may be that dinner bell type of situation. And I think it's worth it to, no one should ever say like, oh, that's stupid. Especially if no one else is doing it. I mean, how do you yeah. know that it's stupid? I that, mean, it's, it's definitely worth a try. That might be, that's honestly probably where I heard it from. And I saw, uh, like, I've only, do you guys know of many people doing that? Like, I've only seen two people who do that. I think, well, what was I, it called? Sorry, I think, well, I think, uh. I don't know how many people do it, but I think that we fall into this. And I and I know that I've, when I was younger, I thought this, but we we underestimate the intelligence of snakes. I guess because you know they don't really show emotion. We assume that everything is just hey, they, they just they're going off of instinct. And for a large part, that's how they are. And like I so said, don't want to amplify I always mess that word up, but you know what I mean. They're not yep. people, <laughs> but uh, they're still intelligent. I mean, they still were on the earth for millions of years, and they don't stay here by just being dumb. I mean, they learn, mm-hmm. and especially anybody that's kept any like the higher. I think some of those larger pythons and stuff like that, or some of your larger, uh, like I've always heard about cobras being super intelligent. They learn. They know people, and I think something like what you're doing is worth trying. If it works, then it works. If it doesn't work, you're not out of anything. It'd be fun to try if I got, if I ever eventually got two of the same species, because it's it's fun to do this experiment with different species. So, did you want to skip ahead to, like, I, I had a keeper tip, and it's really simple and kind of dumb. I use upside-down mason jar lids when I'm feeding pinkies, because they don't get in the substrate, and they don't roll around. And I used to put them on the lids of, like, Tupperware and stuff, but then, you know, when the snake is, like, pushing up against the prey item, it gets in this. And they can they can ingest substrate, like, a little bit, no, no problem if it's a healthy animal. But, uh, yeah, upside-down mason jar lids, it's... It's perfect for little little tiny baby snakes. You want to know what I just started doing and what Melissa's very happy about? Hit me. As far as, uh, I, th- I think I stole this did, from Hard Tech. Did you quit using her pots to warm up rats? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pretty much in the same in the same zone there. Uh, so, yeah, in order in order to frozen thaw or to thaw my rodents, sorry, rodents out, jeez. Um, in order to thaw them out, I got two buckets at Home Depot. I soldered holes in the bottom of one, and then I kept the other one whole. And then I basically filled it up with hot water, put the rodents in there. When it's done, I lift the first bucket, it drains out, and then I bring them into the snake room and, and feed. So it's just, it, it eliminates me having to use the sink as well as, as it makes it easier to drain water basically from from the rodent and then therefore just makes the whole uh feeding experience a little bit easier that's cool yeah that sounds really efficient for people who have larger collections who are feeding like over 10 15 20 animals at once yeah i I guess you gotta be at a certain scale for that to be effective but i've never done the water thing i've always uh i used to use a pot and put them in backies and and warm them up that way but every now and then you forget to get them out in time and uh they become a little soft and then a snake decides it wants to be overly hungry and oh, wrap around it. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah. And so I was the- like, I got to stop doing that. So I stopped. I, I Now I plan it out. If I'm going to feed tomorrow, I pull everything out, put it in a baggie, and I put it in the fridge. 
and then uh, I pull out an hour or two hours before I feed. And I do that too. And rats, I normally give an extra day to thaw out. Sometimes I still stay a little frozen in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then rabbits so I give have, an extra day. I have heard of, um, as far as that, that situation, because I used to have that a lot, especially with pinkies and stuff like that. So thawing them out in like, in lukewarm water instead of hot. I mean, the hotter yes. you go, the more the more risk you are to do that, as well as I'm sure you're at other risks as well. Um, but yeah, so that's what stopped that for me. But also, I mean, have you ever walked into like a, a retic guy's room or something? He's got like rabbits thawing out everywhere. That's something. <laughs> I, th- I used to have to thaw out rabbits. I had a big enough red tail that ate uh, two pound rabbits. Damn. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the problem is like if they don't get thawed out, they you can still feel the ice crystals. So it takes like days for them to thaw out sometimes, like in a fridge. Yeah, it's it's not it's not too bad. It's 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 not bad. Yeah. No, I'm sure it's you know, you just do what you have to do. Is that's just kinda of gross. Crunchy, crunchy rabbits. Crunchy rabbits. So Carly, your your social media thing I was taking a look at it's long. It's long and and uh I was gonna say, like, we don't even have to because like we're already. Let's well, it. Let's go. Let's do it. Well, like, if we. Oh, um. Also, I have a wild card. <laughs> your wild, your wild card. Do you want to yeah. save your social media thing for next time? Kinda. I, <laughs> we'll, we'll save it for next time, guys. I have a long ride ahead of me. Let's go as long as you want, because <laughs> I'm gonna be bored otherwise. Uh, unlike the both of us, Carly has to work more things to talk about. I actually did. I I was. Uh, I'm I'm coverage today. And I actually, um, surprise, in the healthcare field, you get called in for coverage. Like, who would have thought if, if what, like, whether there's a chance if I don't have to come in or I do, odds are I will. But my wild card this week is, James, I think you need to eat more vegetables. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe go to the, gro- the grog store, pick up some uh, zucchini and some tomatoes. You know that food that you feed the tortoise, the tortoise food? Eat yeah, just, that. No, taking, but it's it's for the tortoises. I can't take. I'm not taking food out of my tortoise's mouth, Carl. Uh, like a monster, you animal. Oh, That's why I eat all the hot dogs because, of course, reptiles aren't supposed to eat hot dogs. So I eat all those. I, I couldn't. I couldn't think of a more offensive meat besides bologna than a hot dog. Like I, I could watch someone. I could watch a factory make a hot dog. Drop the stuff on the floor, scoop it back up, put it in the machine. I'll still eat that hot dog. Put mustard on it. It's a great day. I was laughing so hard the other day. Like I, I, as you both probably know, I could talk to myself and I laugh at my. Now that you can't talk to yourself, I'm pretty sure you do talk to yourself. I can. I can have a total. I I can have a one sided conversation with myself. Like, but Nick, I I eat mostly. I eat meat, but I eat mostly vegetables and fruit and stuff. And Nick mostly. Like uh, like meat and he eats vegetables and stuff too. But um, I come in the house and I'm like, it smells like shit chicken in this house. He's like, what? I'm like, it smells like shit chicken in this house. Did you make chicken? <laughs> it smelled revolting. I, I'm the I'm the oddball in this whole conversation because I don't eat vegetables at all and I love meat. Yeah. Well, and, and it, now and now I'm a vegetarian. And... Yeah, I know. So we're gonna have to quit being friends at some point. <sighs> I know. I know. But I. <laughs> Lost my manhood in a lot of ways, I guess, in some people's eyes. But uh, when did you? Uh... <laughs> oh shit! Oh no, his signal went out because he's a vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one thing to to tell people that I care about conservation and animals and all this thing, 
and it's another thing, and especially the environment. I mean, that's why I did it. I'm not doing it because um, I like little lambs and baby cows and stuff. I mean, I do, but and I don't like factory farming, but also it's the biggest change that you can make to make the most impact into not, you know, contributing to climate change per se. I mean, like, not well, I'm glad, being involved I'm glad in factory you're doing farming. That. You do that, so I'm <laughs> yeah, I mean, eating. No. It balances well, I mean, out. He eats the, vegetables. The best ways of converse, conservation comes best formed in not eating meat and not having children. And I'm doing okay <laughs> at home right now. So. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing one of the two. I'm definitely not ever having children. And, I was like, you have to clarify <laughs> oh, which one of those two. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I would. Oh my God. I would. <laughs> I had it so I was sick. Never early. say never, Carly. No, we're gonna cut this out of the podcast. But like, oh, that's what you think. Yeah, <laughs> real personal. Yeah, like I was, I was. You guys know I was like dying this week. I was sick, and I um, like you wouldn't believe how many of my coworkers were just like, "Are you pregnant?" And I'm like, "No, I'm fucking not pregnant. Get, get the fuck away from me." Anytime well, a woman gets sick, I mean, that's the first thing people say, that's, and they're all like happy yeah. for you, like they want it on you. You're like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so that's that's my... Again, uh, again, I'm the odd man out. I have a kid. Yeah, you're just... What the fuck are you doing, James? Freaking, you don't... James, you don't... vegetable-eating, non-children-having freaks. You don't give a fuck about our environment. Oh, you eat meat and you have children. <laughs> I had a kid, and I'm going to enjoy pepperoni pizza. That's, that's, that's my wild card, though. It's nothing special. <laughs> I do have a really exciting animal of the week, though. What's your animal of the week? Hold on, hold on, hold on. I've got to explain to everybody, though. Carly may be giving you an animal of the week, but what Carly really does every day is an animal of the day. (laughs) And in our group chat, we get to hear about the animal of the day all the time. And don't get me wrong, I love it, but a lot of time it ends up with us going, yeah, we know. And so, no, I'm there's raised. a lot of things that Carly has gotten into, and I'm like, I don't know where you found that. So. <laughs> uh, it interests I, me every time. We wait for it. Okay, On the first and- podcast, I forget what you said, but I was like, oh, I didn't know that. James didn't know that. Yeah. What the hell? Well, and it's not every time. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's not I- every... It's not every time everyone's just like, yeah, Carly, you dumb it's fucking cunt. Why would you say that? No, it's, it's not. It's it, Look... Again, I enjoy making fun of Carly's enthusiasm. Just, yeah. Just like when she talked about it, Tinley, Joe telling her, oh, you met another fucking person. Yeah. After the 15th time, she said, guess who I met? Well, and that was, that was obviously like, it's all in good humor. I'm just like, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> but um, well, because so- like, and, and you're going to see right now that you're on a podcast and you're going to have to do podcasts with these people. And if you see them as more than just another person. And you may be nervous, and, like, there's nothing to be nervous about. Yeah. I don't think I'll always... I mean, I, I am just naturally a really, like, bubbly, excitable person, but I won't always be... Next week's gonna be fun at Carpet Fest. Yeah, but, like, I won't... I'll still... You're telling me right now you're gonna meet uh, Pia and Cody and not hug them and talk about them for the next day and a half. I never said that. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> like, that's not what I'm saying at all. You're gonna, you're gonna meet Jake and Justin in person. And hug them and talk about them for the next week. You are going to hold your first Palm Viper. <laughs> oh, my God. That's going to be great. That's why they call it a Palm Viper. Because right it fits in your palm. Yeah, that's, that seems logical. That's that's the animal fact of the day. Palm Vipers there you go. are Bam. made for your palm. 
man. I don't. Forget it. Have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to seem like. No, it's look. The the fact that you do that is great because I'm going to meet them and it's going to be cool to me. I don't have that level of excitement, and it's it's a a great thing to watch you have it. It really is, and I'm going to be excited to meet a lot of them. And I don't want to take away from how excited I am to meet them, but you will have a level that will, it's infectious when you meet somebody. They can't help but be happy meeting you when you meet them. I just like, I don't know, this, this hobby just means so much to me. And like these people, like I, I can't help, but like, and and even I'm embarrassed with my behavior sometimes. Don't, like, don't be embarrassed. <laughs> so like, I, I don't know. I don't want people to be like, a. I mean, no one's, no one's annoyed when you come up and hug them, Carly. Well, obviously, I, I'm not going to fucking, you, like... You are going to hug me. No, I'm not. Man. Like... <laughs> I'm, I'm telling not. you. I'm getting pictures of you hugging folks so I can post it on the group. Because it's going to be great. It is. It's going to be great. I'm going mean, to gonna, I'm gonna follow you around just so I can enjoy well, this, your this enjoyment. Is, this is just making me seem like I'm going up and, like, demanding. Like, <laughs> this is making it seem like I'm going up and just, like... Uh, like hugging these people without and like touching these people without like our consent. <laughs> no means no. I mean, I'm a very affectionate, excitable person, obviously. But even you know, we've all, everyone's been. I mean, maybe not everyone, but just I don't know. You know what I'm trying to say. But anyway, <laughs> animal. Of the I feel like you you remind me never to like take advantage of all of the cool people we know and yes. the cool things that we do on a day to day basis. Yes. And because we've become jaded over years <laughs> of like doing the same thing over and over again. And it's nice to have a new perspective, honestly. I, I feel like, so there's so many times that people don't like stuff because it's popular. And so they have this mentality of, I'm not going to like it because it's cool. I feel like you don't have those moments as much, Carly. That if you like something, you truly will like it no matter what anybody else says. And you'll get excited over it. <laughs> And I feel like that is something that the hobby needs more. I feel there was so many times that people were like, and I'm there. I'm like, I don't like ball pythons. But I don't like ball pythons just because they don't do anything for me. Yeah. But I, there's so many times where people are like, I don't like ball pythons because other people like ball pythons. But they I, won't say that out loud. But it's there in their head. That's why they don't really like them. Or the yeah. group of keepers and breeders that you're in with don't like them. And yeah, just, it's not cool. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, whereas you, Carly see something you like and you get excited and more people need to do that. More people need to, if you see something you like, learn more about it, get excited about it, enjoy it and fuck what everybody else says. It makes you happy. And that is like, that's kind of my whole direction in keeping now is more so trying to like find that again. And I mean, I found it partly in doing isopods or in, you know, getting a new species or, and it's just things that I'm taking more, um, Take an initiative to get into new things and be more like a beginner again. So well, I think it's important to become a beginner again all the time. And that's why I'm excited with Carly being on this podcast because we're we're going to talk to people and she's going to learn new things. And that excitement is infectious. That excitement will spread. People will see that and they'll get excited. And so don't when I when I make fun of you hugging folks, Carly, it's not because I'm like you shouldn't do it. I I make fun because I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I'm not the one. I'm creepy if I come up and hug random people. No. <laughs> it's cute when you come up and hug random people. Oh, no. well, and, and I, I'm also not brave enough to be that open and like excited. I just, you know, yes. like I wish I was. I, I just don't. <laughs> okay. I know you're, I know you're just giving me shit because I, 
there's uh, there's a lot of openings for people to really dig in and get you know you know as you guys know I am really excitable and I like I was saying I am a really affectionate person but I just don't want people to think like Jesus fucking Christ this girl's gonna come out of nowhere and touch me and hug me and be like <laughs> be like molesting me and just like oh my god I watch your YouTube videos <laughs> like like I mean you know that Carly girl she's a little touchy yeah she's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be sneak attack hugs and carpet fest. yeah I just I don't want people to think like because I do realize like I am aware that I can be a little uh, like annoying and I can be a lot sometimes like like even my closest friends like they you know and I I am aware of that and it's hard for me it is hard for me to suppress that but I I am aware of I I am socially aware of like if if someone is not into talking with me or me asking them you know obviously I'm not just gonna go up and just you know lose my fucking mind over some you know I have done that but like well so I just didn't I was just like oh god people are gonna see me as like this this person that I don't want them to if anyone is gonna be at Carpet Fest Southeast Carpet Fest is listening to this you better accept a hug from Carly no or else no I'm good with handshakes I'm good with not even handshakes I'm good with just like a cordial no, I'll take a bow. I'll take a bow. <laughs> a curtsy. If you yeah. don't want to hug, you better fucking curtsy, Carly, at Southeast Carpet Fest. Do you guys want to hear about my? Um... Yes. What is your animal? I do. I, I actually do want to hear your animal. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we need to wrap Um, I this week I learned about a bunch of really cool different animals, but the one and, and like when I do animal of the week, it's not going to be like their natural history, their reproductive cycle. Like it's just going to be like facts interesting facts that i i find interesting um and this week is gophers gophers okay. gophers because that makes sense you're in minnesota minnesota's the gopher okay got it. but like i did not know like i did you guys know what the difference james you probably did but i i didn't know the difference between a gopher and a prairie dog and a mole well i mean i know they're different species yeah is it regional there's different species no there's different species i mean a mole is way different a mole is Oh, yeah. that's different. I and I, it's I, moles are completely different, and it was kind of just how didn't I know this? But oh um, yeah, like moles and shrews, gophers are big. I mean, yeah, you ever see a gopher? They're huge. Oh, and they can tell the future weather. Don't you know that? <laughs> oh yeah. So um, there's 13 different species of gophers, and wow. let's see. I have the difference between gophers and prairie dogs. Is prairie dogs are in the squirrel family. Both are rodents, but gophers are solitary. I I had no idea. I thought like they were all um, solitary in the way they live, or solitary in their own group. They're like, solitary. They they one gopher for one gopher hole. Oh okay. Yeah. Did you? I didn't know, I didn't that. know that. No. Let's see. Yeah, gophers are solitary, where um, prairie dogs are social animals. Gophers' burrowing systems include travel runs, drainage tunnels, and chambers for sleeping, eating, and pooping the lips of a oh these ones are really cool the lips of a gopher are adapted to close behind i know other rodents and stuff do this but they close behind the incisors to prevent dirt from getting in its mouth as it uses its incisors and its its forearms to dig i thought that was like a crazy like i don't know it's it's crazy but it seems super obvious and then they can turn their cheek pouches inside out to clean them like how freaky would that is weird. How freaky would that be to see, like, just the inside of a gopher become the outside of a gopher? 
it's it's cheeks just it's cheeks yeah but like that'd be crazy if the rest of it came on the outside that would yeah i'd be like oh too far too far but like yeah that's put that back in there that's nuts though like they seem like such a carly do you know um like the difference between a gopher and say a marmot no idea okay because when i was in colorado like i saw um you know i just heard something crazy and it's hard to explain. I'm not going to try to imitate it. But I was like, Oh, come on. What is your marmot saw? call? I don't know. I don't, I don't remember exactly. But it's like, I was like, Oh, that's different. And then I just saw this extremely overweight animal at an extreme <laughs> elevation that like, I was like, how is this to happen? I'm gonna... Nice to see you, marmot. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing? I'm Googling marmot right now. Like, uh... And it's just within the rocks that like, Ten thousand feet. <laughs> Holy shit! And then Colorado too, which are really awesome, but not as awesome anymore. That I know uh, that they're just rodentia. So what's the difference between a gopher and a what's the difference between a gopher and a groundhog? Then that's a good question too. I have no earthly idea. Because I was thinking groundhog earlier, but it was definitely gophers we're talking about. For some reason, I was thinking groundhogs. So I was picturing big old fat groundhogs, but. There's so many. Like, so we don't ha- we don't have any of that stuff down here in the south. We we have squirrels. Uh, yeah, nutria rats or whatever. We have nutri- We unfortunately have nutria rats in Louisiana. They are <laughs> everywhere. So nutria rats. Have you ever seen one? Think of a giant aquatic rat, like like beaver sized aquatic Ooh, rat. I need to Google this. And they uh they were brought here for the fur trade, and then they got loose, and they are doing really well for themselves because they are everywhere. They are. Oh! Yeah, huge, oh huge rat. Oh my god, they huge look so. Rat. Oh my god, their teeth—they're terrifying. <laughs> you, you should see a skull. The skull; those teeth are enormous. Jeez, are they also called uh, cold? Are they also cold? Well, all, all Minnesota. Are they also called swamp rats? I would imagine. Man, I mean, they're everywhere. They 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 burrow into all the levees and everything. They really do a lot of destruction as far as like erosion. They they eat a lot of the grass and burrow into the levees and. Uh, they're big. I mean, I've had them. I'll go fishing, and the places I go fishing, they're around there. And I'll have these little ones come up. Like I don't know. I had one come three feet away from me, just sitting there looking at me. These rats look like they've been dipping for fifteen years. <laughs> With the big yellow teeth. God, <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, that's that's what we have. We have squirrels no, and Louisiana, rats. Louisiana government pays you for a certain amount of nutrient rats every year, right? Like, well, it's, can, it's you, no. I think it's like um. Them off the side of the road and they'll you money. It's for the tail. You get, I think it's like four fifty or four something dollars per tail, mm-hmm. and so you, you turn it in a tail, you get money. Um, oh, we rich baby! You could rack up if you shoot enough. <laughs> I'll say, look, you can shoot them, get money for the tail, and then just eat the nutria rat for dinner. Oh god! It's it's Louisiana. They'll eat anything here. <laughs> have you eaten? Have you eaten? Oh one? hell no! I'm not eating a rat. Oh okay. I haven't even eaten I've squirrel. Eaten a squirrel. So have you guys eaten squirrel? I would no. try squirrel. I've never eaten. There is a there's a high school down here that once a year they they basically get out of school on a Friday. There's still school. Technically they're supposed to be there, but no one takes roll for the opening day of squirrel season. And so their football game is on Thursday night instead of Friday for and it's called the Squirrel Bowl. And then they're, they're <laughs> and then the kids don't show up to school on Friday because they are off in the woods getting set up for squirrel season. Squirrel bowl. The squirrel bowl. It's I didn't know that was a thing until I moved here. I didn't even realize there was a squirrel season until I moved to Louisiana. Because I was just like, yeah, you could just shoot them, there right? There is. 
in every state, but I didn't know that people like actually cared. Oh man, I love squirrel. I mean, I'm not eating it. There's other things I'm gonna eat before I get the squirrel. That's so crazy how like you wouldn't eat a squirrel, but I, like Joe and I, I Joe's eating a squirrel. I would try. I would totally try a squirrel. I'm not eating squirrel. <laughs> it's so tough it. and not really something you're gonna enjoy. And then I'm gonna be like, if I if I cook it right, like no, <laughs> it's tough no matter how. <laughs> wait, wait, are you talking to Foghorn Leghorn? With boy, I said boy. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, the last fact that I have for the lovely gopher is their entire tunnel system tunnel six system words system again there go words tripping up carly can be 200 to 2,000 square feet and their Jeez. nascent food storage chambers can be up to six feet deep but, the, but you know what's cool about that is the the baird's pocket gopher which is uh, <laughs> throughout the southeast and the long leafs pine they uh the louisiana pine snake they take their holes and they smash all the little gophers. It's amazing. The wall and <laughs> yeah, they, they like hit it. It's amazing because it, yeah, it can't constrict. They'll grab one and then push the rest against the wall. And, uh, so we do have gophers here, but the thing is, like, I don't see them because Baird's pocket gophers are underground all the time. Just, yeah, yeah, and it's like they have burrows, like she was explaining. And also, I didn't realize that I was looking at a study, and it's something like 96% of the radio tagged pine snakes, Louisiana pine snakes in particular at this point, were all found underground. They've only oh, yeah. found 4% of the tagged animals ever above ground. And that's usually just moving from hole to hole. Like It's it's a male. It's a male moving. Yeah. yeah. That's why we have no idea how many are left in the wild, because they're all underground. So, although mine is not underground, mine is right there behind me sitting in that cage, that tub. I'm like, trying, to, yeah. trying to find a way to make a burrow that is you know, respectable in, in the way of captivity as far as in my way of the, seeing her. Sorry, that's that's the wrong way to put it, but uh, it's really something that I can keep and clean. And the zoo I worked everything. at, we had a burrow system in the zoo I worked at. So you had the, on exhibit, there was the cage up top and then a hole. And it was a three-tier uh, burrow that would open up as a hole from the back. So you could get all the way into the burrow from the back. And most of the time, the pine snakes were never laying up there on top. They were wedged down there in one of those burrows up against the glass. So you could see them because we had dark, like, blue lights in the burrow. So you could see in them without there being bright lights. And uh, the pine snakes, like, probably 90% of the time were laying in those burrows. They just, they don't want to be up above ground. You know? Yeah, so, and I mean, mine get mad whenever I'm in the room and stuff. And I think that's just literally because they're solitary animals. Yeah, mine lives in a tub, and I think a tub is probably the best way. I mean, don't get me wrong. I know folks, the the guy that I know that breeds them keeps his, his big females in cages, but when I walk in there, many times I don't see them. They're wedged underneath a water bowl, burrowed underneath paper. You can't see them because they don't, they don't want to be out. So yeah. that, is my, that is my connection to your gopher is that my snake eats gophers. And they, they eat gophers like, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's probably like 99% of their diet is gopher. So that was a fun, a fun animal fact brought to you by carly yeah our animal facts will not always be reptile facts carly learns about everything yeah. and i think that's good because that we we often uh well we often think we know all we need to know about snakes and reptiles too but i mean True. people don't realize how many species there truly are so i'm sure you you can make headway there but it's also cool to learn something completely out of the norm and realize oh wait other animals are cool too because 
when people say, or a lot of people love animals, but you know when they say that. They love fuzzy animals. You know when they say that. They don't really mean like frogs and, um, but people who, like us who love the, like the other animals, like we also, for the most part, love other stuff too. So I don't know. It's kind of cool. I I don't know. I, uh, maybe I'll learn about, maybe tomorrow. It's fun to learn about extinct animals too. Maybe tomorrow I'll learn about like. Learn about the dodo bird. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I should. Yeah. So I do want to, one of the things I do want to bring up is we haven't talked about any other podcast and we have a podcast drawn. So, but I'm not going to talk about your podcast. They can go listen to your podcast. We want to know about it. That's fair. But I was listening to the new podcast from Riley, the reptile room. And I really liked, they talked about the importance of reptile shows. I liked that whole idea as a former zookeeper zoos, reptile shows, owning pets in general is under attack a lot of the time by groups that just don't understand. They're outside. that They think they know what's best for an animal and, and in my opinion, and it is my opinion only, I think they don't know what's best for animals at all. But I think reptile reptile shows are important, like they said, because they give us a chance to get around like-minded people. Like, this podcast gives us a chance to talk to each other. But I've just spent the last two weekends at reptile shows and they were amazing. I mean, I meet amazing people at them, whether they be customers or other vendors or just people there bringing their kids because, hey, there was a reptile show. Let me take my kid to see reptiles. You know, it's an so experience. So many people are offended by that, that people do that. But I, I love that. I mean, I think that's the best part of the reptile show. And, and I guess that's part of my, I of working in a zoo because at a zoo, I was like, zoos are necessary because when else is this kid going to see a lion other than on TV? And if they don't see that lion in person, they're not going to make a connection with, that's a real thing. That is something I should care about. And not everybody gets that feeling when they see something in a zoo. But a lot of people do. I mean, for people that, you know, there's so much stuff that people don't know. And it's amazing. that I feel like it's, it's if we know about it, it's our, it's our job to spread that, to spread that knowledge. And a reptile show is a great thing. Yeah, there's a ton of people there that are just there because it's basically a traveling zoo to them. And, and yeah, you're going to get a million people who go, can I hold that? Can I hold that? And and I normally I don't let a lot of people hold it just because there's a lot of things that can happen. But but I'll still talk to them and I'll explain stuff to them. And a lot of the reptile shows I do have an educational aspect. So there's usually often another place an educational program. They have a bunch of other animals they can touch and hold and see. I just I think they're a necessity, and not only for the people that are just there to see reptiles, but for like me and you guys, it, it's a chance to meet others, talk to others, learn about animals that we've never kept or thought about keeping. Every time I'm at a show, I talk to the other vendors that are around me. And if they're keeping something different than me, that's awesome. I get to learn about a new animal. Just like Carly, I get to learn about a new animal that day. And I've learned a lot from these reptile shows. And so I agree with what they said on the reptile room was they're really important that you should go to them. If they're in your area, if it's an hour, a two hour drive away, go to it. Just go. Even if you don't plan on buying anything, go there. And maybe, and, and they said it on their podcast, buy supplies. If you don't want to buy a new animal, rate. But it's a great place to buy bedding or to buy a hook like we talked about earlier. If you don't own a hook, go to a reptile show and support those vendors at a reptile show. Because if you support them, those shows will grow. And support the, the show promoters to keep yes. putting on the show. I, I will say the shows I do down here, are, and Joe and I have talked about before, are the uh, the Herps reptile shows put on by Sean and Lori. And uh, they're probably the two best promoters in the country. I, I'll... I'll fight that to my dying day. They take care of. I think uh, every vendor would say yes. that he's experienced that. 
they take care of their customers and they take amazing care of their vendors. And that's an important thing. And I know for people out there who don't vend, you don't get it. But man, a show promoter that takes care of their vendors is amazing. So like, And let's in- be honest, show promoters are seem to be teetering towards because the pet industry is getting so big and the reptile industry is getting so big. They're just trying to get people through the door. Yes. And, um, and oftentimes the vendors are getting the short end of the stick or are just straight up plainly forgotten. There's shows that, that I know people have done a certain show for 10 years. If they don't show up for one weekend, they're forgotten. They're done. And, and even, yeah. and even that person, the, the show promoter don't even know them by name. They've been doing that show for 10 years and they don't know them by name. At, at some point, you got to realize that the show is being put on pretty much by the vendors. You know, the vendors are the show. And at the same time, yeah. so are the people coming through the door. So it's and, like and it's Sean's, a delicate relationship. And I've talked to Sean many times. And the way he sees it is they are there to see us, the vendor. And if the vendor doesn't do well, he doesn't do well. And right. he wants he, – and he used to be a breeder. I mean, he used to vent shows. He knows what it's like. But one thing that they do at every show that I think is amazing is that on Saturday night after the show, there is somewhere in that town they've already set up a dinner. We go to dinner and all the vendors go and we hang out and we well, I mean, we'll hang out till you know two or three in the morning sometimes. I've done that. It's it's very hard to stay awake till four in the morning and then have to vend a show the next morning. But it, <laughs> it, it is possible. I've done it. But it's that connection that of getting to hang out with other like minded people that keep me going to his shows. Because I get to hang out and I get to learn about, you know, venomous snakes. So we'll have venomous vendors there and I'll ask them all sorts of questions. Or invertebrate folks. And I'll ask them all things. So, I mean, it's go to a show. Talk to somebody. Trust me, vendors, for the most part, vendors want to talk to you. If, if you come to them interested in what they do, it's a chance for us to explain what we do. And we don't, we don't get to do that often. We don't get to talk about it on a level of, oh, man, so I'm breeding this with this. And these are awesome. And the way that that doesn't get to happen a lot. And so I also had a kid uh, come up to me at the last one in Baltimore and ask, uh, if, if I knew anyone who had some photo dragons, so <laughs> oh, also good. it's also fun to talk to those people. It is, or to find that mom that brought her kids and the mom is terrified of snakes, but her kids wanted to come. Like I love those moments. The parent who saw past themselves to realize, look, my kid wanted to do this. I hate it, but I'm going to do it because they want to do it. And that's the we parent literally- I want to talk to. We literally sold a snake in Baltimore just like that and where it took us three hours of the kid holding it, the dad holding <laughs> oh, it, man. and eventually the mom held it. And now she's been messaging me about snakes for like the last few weeks. And I bet so personally like, I don't that she get over a fear, but she's invested in it. You know? And I it's bet personally that was your favorite that. sale. That was probably your favorite sale the whole weekend because there's a sense of accomplishment at the end of that. You change someone's mentality. And you've put a snake into a house where you know that it's going to be taken care of. It's going to be loved. Yeah, and it's one thing to sell a high-end morph to another guy who has 100 corn snakes. It's yeah. another thing to like make a conversion of a person, you know, from a non-snake person to a snake person to a person who owns snakes. I mean, like that's what really actually matters. It's not putting another snake into a bin. It's putting a snake into a home where a children enjoys it, a family enjoys it, and it changes people's opinion. Yeah, and it's, like I said, that's what I think shows do. It's one thing for someone to go to PetSmart and see a snake in a cage at PetSmart, and nothing against those stores. I used to work at PetSmart at one point, but you're not going there and talking to a breeder. You're not going to go there and find out how to truly someone's experience over years how to take care of that animal. 
But you go to a show, you find someone who this is a part of their life. It's a huge part of their life. And so I think what you get out of going to a reptile show is so beneficial. Yeah. And I feel like a sale to me at a reptile show is like a transfer of energy as far as I'm excited about it. And then I can get that excitement to rub off on someone. And then that ends in a sale. So it's like, it's not like I am making a transaction. Here's a snake. Here's my excitement for that snake because I truly love every single one of these animals that's on the table. And I'm transferring that to someone else. And then they're going to love it as well. Yeah. It, like I said, I, I think even if you don't plan on buying something, buying an animal, if there's a show within two hours of you and you really feel like you're part of the reptile hobby and you want to be part of it, go to that show. Just drive to that show. Spend the day walking around. Talk to people. Like I said, pick up some bedding, pick up a hook, whatever, and, and have, make a day out of it. It's a, it's a fun day. So yeah, that is what I, that was our first episode. That was all I had. And there was more. We, we went longer than I expected, but once we start talking reptiles, it's very hard to go, hey, we're only going to do an hour. I, I knew this. I knew, and we both probably knew that. Um, I knew it. Yeah. And But it's like whenever you watch From the Ground Up and Joe ends up going 30, 40 minutes past and Melissa's telling hey. Joe, hey, it's time to end. Should we wrap her up, boys? So I think... <laughs> that does it for our first official it podcast. Seems, it seems like we're going to be forced to do that either way because yes. my internet sucks. Um, I got literally we lose half, Joe of a bar. half Before a bar. Before we lose Joe completely, in case someone lives under a rock, Joe, tell everybody where they can contact you and find you. Yeah, so you can find us at Four City Pythons on Instagram, Facebook, FourCityPythons.com, Four City Pythons Podcast on YouTube, as well as Four City Pet. On YouTube, uh, we have Isopod. We're bringing up reptile supplies, all that good stuff. And please support fellow podcasters like Carly, as well as James, in their journey and starting their podcast, as well as Riley and Andy and all the awesome podcasts out there, NPR, all those good ones. Uh, I'm glad that you guys are joining us on this journey. And, uh, yeah, thank you guys for having me on for the first one. I'm sorry that it was in a car in Pennsylvania. <laughs> thank you it's so much. For- We're glad you came. And like I said, we talked on the last show. I feel everyone should have a try and catch the From the Ground Up podcast live at some point on YouTube. Because, like I said, the, the chat, the group chat that goes on is anything but reptile related most times. So join in, have fun. And you can you obviously ask them questions as it's going on. Uh, maybe one day we'll be cool enough to be able to do a live podcast, but we'll, we'll wait till we quit screwing up so much. Thanks for coming on, Joe. I really appreciate it. I, yeah. I, was, I was nervous for you driving distracted, but we made it. We did it. Joe didn't die. It's I'm success. not sure what you just said. Thank you for coming on, and you're welcome. Okay. I don't know what else was said, but I appreciate it. All right, I good. Let's just say, all right, Joe, go ahead and drive, and, and don't die. All right. We'll Shit. All right, guys. Next time, we'll have to do this not like this eventually. We will. Sorry. (laughs) We'll talk at you later, Joe. Talk to you later. Later. Bye. Okay, so we made it through our first podcast. That that was good. I feel like that was really – I'm so happy that you're able to edit. (laughs) (laughs) It it, it will sound – Okay, I can't promise good. I'm not going good yet because it's the first podcast, but it will sound okay. Yeah, we're – putting something out there and we're trying like we're you know the only way we're going to get better is if we just do it and we put stuff out there and we try so it's, yes. it's i i will get less nervous like 
I don't know. It's weird. Like, I just, I get, I get like, uh, I, it's like I can hear myself and I get uncomfortable. And But I'm excited for next week. You know, we'll do it again. So next week, so we oh, want to try, right. yeah. we do want to try and release um, a podcast every weekend. Next mm-hmm. week, of course, we're going to screw that up with our very second podcast. Yeah. Uh, we will be at Car- Southeast Carpet Fest mm-hmm. at Pia and Cody's place in Florida. And so we won't really be able to record a podcast, but we will be recording one the following Tuesday. Uh, I will not tell you who our co-host is yet, but we do have a co-host lined up and, and we'll get that one out as soon as possible after that. And then from that point on, we'll try and aim uh, for every weekend, but work and life gets in the way sometimes mm-hmm. and it is what it is. Uh, we do want y'all to definitely check out our Facebook page, which is probably the most active part of our host social media right now. You can find us at the Reptile Gumbo Podcast on Instagram, the Reptile Gumbo Podcast on Facebook, and you can email us any suggestions or, I mean, you can email us complaints. I may not read them, but you can email them. You can email us at the Reptile Gumbo Podcast at gmail.com. Um, but please go to our Facebook page, like the Facebook page. Every week we'll put up polls, comment on the polls, tell us what you think, uh, comment on any videos we put up. Because if we put up a Facebook video or if we share something from another Facebook page, it's probably what we plan on talking about that week. And if you have a point of view, we'll mention you. We'll talk about your point of view on the podcast. Carl, you got anything to add? None that comes to mind, <laughs> good buddy. It's well, just, I don't have anyone to represent. It's just, it's just me. Oh, yeah. Uh, find me on Facebook at Simply Serpents. I officially sold all of my boas that I had for the last season. So right now I am, I am babyless as far as snakes waiting for Sam boas to drop. But feel free to follow me. And as the babies come, you'll see pictures. So they will show up, but that's it. Thank you for helping me get through the first podcast, buddy. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for letting me join in this little run. Desvas. And I will get, I will get to see you in a week. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. So I'll see you in a week and um, I'm sure I'll talk at you later in our group chat. That does it from the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Thank y'all for listening. Bye. Bye.